Welcome back to the Art for Artists interview series where we talk to someone interesting about something they're working on uh, and in the process hopefully learn a little bit about what it means to be a creator uh, and be someone that makes things. Uh, I'm joined today by a special guest who's also an author. Uh, so guest, uh, who are you? I am Adam DeCaldis. Uh I'm an author living in California. Uh, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy. I uh, grew up in California, traveled a little bit when I was pretty young, uh, got interested in the story and decided to start writing books. So yeah, man, that's, uh, that's who I am and that's what I'm about. Love it. Love it. That was very succinct too. I think sometimes people get tripped up on that question because they're like, oh God, well, who am I? You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> they start getting, uh, uh, what do you call it? All existential, like, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're like, who, but what am I? Who, it's like, yeah, nice stuff. I? You know, I, I love it. What is life about? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly exactly uh and like so the reason that we're talking today obviously um you've been on our regular show before where we talked about lawrence of arabia um because you have your book coming up um so do you want to tell me just a little bit about caravan and sort of uh give us like the top level pitch for what the sort of what the story's about and, and that sort of thing sure thing man sure thing and really quick before i go into it uh i just want to get a chance to say thanks again for having me on bro it's always a great uh always a great time talking to you so thanks a lot man that's my that's my uh, pleasure man glad to have you on same, bro. So, uh, yeah, the book, uh, it's a book, it's a story about a man who travels across the desert, uh, the Saharan desert in the 20s, to take pictures of the people and the culture and the desert. And while he's there, he becomes extremely obsessed with living and traveling in the desert. Because up until this point in his life, he's never had complete control over his life. He's someone else's rules. And now that he has been uh, separated and cut off from his old life, he's able to evaluate the way that he's been living. And he realizes that there is a lot more to life and uh, that he can do a lot more with his life. And uh, it, that realization forces him to decide whether he's going to return to England, where he came from, and fall back into his old life, or whether he's going to stay in the desert and uh, live the life he wants to live. Yeah. I, I love it. You've got a very good, very good pitch too, because I think it really is about is about that question of like uh, finding your freedom and sort of um, learning a, about yourself in a completely different environment. Where, where did those sort of themes come from for you? Because it's sort of laid in throughout the story, and obviously, you know, it takes takes inspiration from Lawrence of Arabia and and those sort of stories. And that a lot of those are about sort of freedom and and discovering, you know, your your true kind of calling or, or, or discovering freedom where does that sort of stuff come from for you is that something you've always been interested in yeah it's it's something that i've always been really fascinated in one of my uh one of my core values is freedom i everything i can do to increase the freedom in my life uh i love it um that being said you know i'm all about discipline and responsibilities but uh yeah i've always had uh, a love for freedom in my life um the the key the key moment that made me want to uh, write something to put out a book about this particular subject uh, was the book The Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. And uh, yeah, so if you've read it, you know, uh, but for those, uh, for, the li for your listeners who haven't uh, read it, it's a book about this shepherd from Spain who uh, he, I forgot what happened, but he, uh, he through a, what do you call it, through a vision, he realizes that there is a desert by the pyramids. And so he decides to travel all the way across the Sahara to find this treasure. And I think it's an excellent metaphor for, a lot, uh, for about 
us, for about people, and about our lives. Uh, you know, at a certain point in our lives, we get this idea, we get this quote-unquote vision that there's a treasure, uh, a goal in this far-off place that we need to go to and we need to find. And the whole book is about following your heart. It's about uh, doing what you want to do and learning more about yourself along the way. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and the, the themes that are just so prevalent in uh, like storytelling in general, you know, you've got like the hero's journey, which is that exact thing. Um, that's like the most popular story um, structure, like for a reason. Like it, I think it just resonates with everyone, um, yeah. like kind of regardless of you know, um, kind of yeah, regardless of like who you are in your life and where you are in your life. You, you, I think everyone can can kind of relate to that that search for for some kind of meeting or like looking for that that objective that if you can just reach it, you know, that it'll it'll change everything. Um, kind of kind of resonates with everyone i think and you know like this story in particular um when you were writing it obviously we talked previously about how there was a lot of inspiration from lawrence of arabia and that sort of thing like what was the writing process like for you you know was it did you sit down and kind of you know bash it out in like a week or was it like over a few months like how did that process go for you putting the story together well uh the process was um it was pretty interesting because when i first started writing it uh i wrote it by hand I wrote the whole thing completely on paper, wow. uh, and it took me the very first draft, which uh, is a completely different animal from the first book. Uh, sorry, from the mm -hmm. uh, copy that you read. It it took me about six months, and I had the first draft down, and uh, I took about a month off, and I went right back at it again. I started going on the second draft, and that draft, uh, the the final draft, it took me about. I think it took me about a year and a half to complete, and that was just an all-out, um, an all-out effort because I wanted to expand on every possible point uh, that I could, and just maximize the story. And it, it wasn't mm -hmm. the most effective way of writing a book, <laughs> as I've learned, uh, <laughs> just just by doing it by uh, uh, you know reading and, and studying how other authors write. It's not the most effective way to do it, but essentially, so the book that is coming out, it's half of what I wrote and, okay. uh, and edited half. So it was, it was pretty big. It, it was pretty close to, I think the manuscript was like 800, 900 pages uh, by the time I was mm -hmm. done with it. So I just sat down and I wrote as much as I could. And I expanded, um, like I said, every little point, every little possibility. And when I was done, uh, that's when the, uh, I brought it to the cutting floor and I took out everything that wasn't essential and wouldn't um, wouldn't be valuable, and uh, wouldn't be essential. And, and this is this is the cream of the crop. Isn't there that that um, that aphorism in writing? I can never remember what the actual percentage it is. Is but it's like you cut eighty percent or something of everything you write, and you end up with like a twenty percent that's good. Or there's some like like way that Stephen King talks about doing it, where he's like, you should write as much as you possibly can because chances are 20% of it will actually be good. So if you write more than everyone else, then you'll have more good stuff because you've written more words or something like that, which I think is a really exactly. interesting way of, of thinking of it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no, I, that's, it's interesting that you wrote it by hand. Was that, a, was that a conscious choice or did it just kind of happen that way? Well, that had been, uh, that's just been the way I, I grew up writing. I just started writing by hand and um, the, well, I didn't do the, the 800 page one by hand. Uh, the first one I did was 400 pages by hand, and then I did it on the computer, which mm -hmm. just 
that was a godsend because <laughs> that would have been, you know, that would have been crazy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just been the way I've, I've always written. And uh, now I love typing compared to handwriting. It's so much easier. It really is. And it, and it makes, like, it makes yeah. going back and fixing your errors so much easier. <laughs> oh, totally. Like, I, yeah. I remember um, every now and then I, I go back and I look at the old manuscript and there will be just several lines that I just scratched out. And I think, God dang, I wonder how many pages it would be, right? If, you know, um, <laughs> if you could if you go back. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. That's it. Uh, yeah. yeah dread, so, I dread to think. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's interesting. Through... Through writing that book, I learned a lot about how I write and how I think as a writer, and mm-hmm. and I really it really helped me to discover my process because I wrote that book. Um, so in writing and publishing, we have a term, uh, two terms for a certain kind of writer. So we have a person who outlines everything, and that's called an outliner. And then we have what's mm-hmm. called a pantser, and what that means is by you're you're flying, yeah, yeah, you know, you're flying by the seat of your pants. And so when I wrote that book, I was I pantsed it the whole way through, and uh, <laughs> I realized, okay, that's good. Um, you know, if I just want to write and I want to put out content, which is fine. But the way I think and the way I write, I realized I have to. I I, I like to outline every single thing before I write it because huh. when you go to the page, when it's time to sit down and put put down your work, it's so easy because you don't have to think about anything other than writing what's going to happen right now. Yeah, because everything's all planned I, yeah. out. Yeah, I'm kind of the same in some ways. Like, I, I, I think in the end, like when I do the first draft, I always have like a like a kind of rough out, like a really rough fool's cap. Like I know the the five acts, and I kind of know the different beats and stuff like that. And then I work toward filling in the details, and then come back and do more of like a thorough outline. But yeah, yeah. it's it's interesting that that you went through the process and realized that after the fact, or, or like as you were going, because I feel like that's such a valuable thing too. If if it is your first kind of big like long fiction project learning that stuff early on is is, like super useful yeah yeah one of the biggest things uh that you that writers in general should just learn early on is find out first of all experiment just find out what works good with you and try things that you wouldn't think would work so for instance at the time i never thought i'd like outlining now Mm -hmm. outlining is like my go-to and (laughs) and it didn't even take me that long to get into it i just realized just by writing uh, by the seat of my pants that I like, I like having a plan. So, and for other people, like, I think uh, Stephen King doesn't outline any, any of his books. So he no, writes but, the whole yeah. book not knowing. So I was going to say, you have to wonder with him as well. I think, I think, I think when you get to a certain point in the industry, like, cause he writes two books a year or whatever. I think for him, he might just be at a point where he doesn't need to outline cause it's all like intuitive to him. Cause he's, he's been doing it for so long that I think like he, he just lives and breathes like na- narrative structure. I don't, I don't think he has to sit down and be like, what's the third act going to be. I think he just thinks like that way. Maybe like uh, that's kind of the impression I get from him. You know, like he's so tuned in that like he doesn't need the outline kind of thing, which would be a crazy place to get to. Yeah. Yeah. No, it would be, I would love to be a fly on the wall in his brain and just yeah. observe and see what's happening while, like, what happens when he sits down. Like, that would be, I would, I would pay an unbelievable amount just to <laughs> witness that. Um, It'd be fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. You can make a, yeah, you could just copy that and sell a course. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. It's, I think just, just 
by the fact that he's written so many books. I don't know how many he's written, but it must be like in the hundreds now. He's written so many books and uh, even more short stories. One of the big things that's important is uh, being a practitioner. That's something I've been uh, a, a creative idea that I've been getting into is being a practitioner. So if you're going to be a write, uh, if you're going to be a writer, write as much as you can uh, in a way that will be extremely productive, and you can put stuff out and get feedback on it. So mm -hmm. I, I, in, be, uh, in between writing this book and, and uh, other projects that I'm working on, I do a daily practice. So I have, I have exercises that I go through and I have other projects that I'm working on and I'm constantly trying to improve my skill, which I think is, is just mandatory if, if you're going to try to make a living out of it and, and be a, a pro. But that's, that I think is just, that's baseline. I think what's the next step is to um, find a way to, excuse me, find a way to uh, put out content and get feedback and... Mm -hmm. I don't know how to say it. Just, just be a practitioner. Go out. And I, do yeah, it. yeah. I, I you know kind of know what, what mean? you mean. Like, you you find ways to to create shorter feedback loops so that you can constantly like work out what's what's working for you and what isn't. I think there's a yeah. tendency sometimes with, especially like because we put out so much content with what we do. Um, so there's like these constant feedback loops of like, is this thing that we're thinking about, or, or is this theory that I was studying? does it work and let's use it to examine something else. And then people go, yeah, I agree with that. I don't think it works that, that way. Like you get that feedback and you're constantly like improving that, that tool set by keeping those loops short. But then the other thing is like in the long projects, creating stopping points where you can get the feedback. So yeah. for instance, with, with my editor, um, we have, we do like six or seven stages of editing. So we start with structural, then we go to scene work. Like, and we have like this whole process that we go through. And it means that at each stage of the project, there's a feedback loop after like, you know, two or three weeks of working on it. We stop and we go back and then there's, the, you know, he gives me that, that, that shorter feedback loop. And I think one of the tips that I always give to people when they ask for advice on writing is like find ways to generate those loops in your long work. Like find someone who you know, is going to read your work and give you critical feedback and like is going to give you valuable feedback and then implement that as a, as a process, like develop a method, say like, okay, every, every time I finish a draft, um, I'm going to get this person to read it and tell me this time, tell me what they think of the structure. Next time, tell me what they think of the scene work. Next time, tell me what they think of the, the prose itself. Where, where, where's the voice working? Where isn't it? Um, do the characters sound right? Do they not? All that stuff. And like keeping that, like developing that process totally changes the way you work. Like it, 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 it makes you, as you said, like it takes you from being like a hobbyist to being that practitioner. Like it, it gives you the tool set that you need. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I, I totally agree. And I, I think the other thing too is like, was, like, so did you have any sort of formal, like, training, like, like a writing degree or anything? Or, or like, what was kind of your process for getting into getting into writing? I, um, I just got into writing by uh, just writing as a kid. I remember I would uh, study English for homework. And uh, one of the things I would do is I would just, uh, one of the ways I would practice my English is I would just write little stories. Mm -hmm. And that's honestly just how I got into it. There, I, I've had no uh, uh, no formal formal training other than just English, but uh, I've I've never taken any. Um, obviously, I've studied. I study writing all the time, and I'm I'm mm -hmm. constantly trying to learn new things. But I've never had had any uh, formal formal education on writing. Yeah, it's 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 interesting. Like 
the the variations that I see between like the people that that have like you know done a degree or something, people that haven't like the difference like it tends to be pretty minimal. It, it it's really about the own the work that you do outside of like that structure. So it's like what textbooks are you reading like in your own time, like which literary theories are you studying, which books are you reading and then analyzing and breaking down, like how much are you thinking about this stuff and how often tends to be the dictator of like the quality of the work rather than just like do you have a degree like yeah i I don't know it's 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 interesting that there's not as much variance as i always think there will be um with that kind of thing something i don't remember where i heard this but uh i remember hearing it from a from a writer that said you you write what you read and i think that's pretty interesting so a good a good tip uh that i've been trying to focus on is whatever you want to write like whatever you want to uh emulate whatever style you're into read as much of that or listen to as much of that as you possibly can because yep. that will affect your style it will affect your your thoughts because all that is going into into your subconscious because you know while you're just going about your day you're thinking about it and whether mm-hmm. you're just thinking about the story which may not seem uh creatively productive right well if you're just thinking about it that's actually going to influence how you write and I think absolutely. very profoundly. Absolutely. Yeah, it really changes the, the baked-in DNA of, like, what you're working with on that project. Yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah. What, when you were working on this one, like, what, what kinds of stories were you reading and, like, what kinds of authors were you, were you getting, were you digging into for, for that process for this, for this book? To be honest, I was just reading a lot of everything. I didn't have, uh, at that point while I was writing the book, I didn't have uh, a particular set of authors I was reading or listening to uh, that I would take um, inspiration from for the book. So I was reading, I was reading a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. It's it's interesting you say that because it does have, there's a lot of like elements of this that aren't just, you know, like a, like, a, oh, it's from Lawrence of Arabia or whatever. Um, like there's, I noticed as well in the book, um, there's a lot of like detective work as well, like especially from William and Hakeem. Um, and it's sort of, it's almost like Sherlockian kind of um, like mystery solving, like or crime, crime kind of, uh, what are they called? Like um, uh, reasoning. Like sort of, or something. Yeah. Yeah. Is, is that something that sort yeah. of you like with mystery stories, like what's your kind of relationship with that stuff? And was it just natural for the story to, to kind of develop that? Uh, it, it, yeah, just sort of made its way into it. Uh, I think that for us, and this is just my own personal opinion, I think that for a uh, story, one of the things that I, I like to do is I like to make the reader think about things. I like them to have a lot of possibilities floating around in, in their head as they're reading the story because that expands the story in more ways than you could possibly imagine. Because if you have them thinking about okay, what could have happened here? What could have happened there? What could be, you know, who is this person? Why are they doing this? That just lends a level of realism to your story and uh, not a complexity, but it makes the world that you're you're portraying your story very real. And uh, while it wasn't, it wasn't strategic, I just thought that adding a bit of mystery, adding a, a bit of um, detective work, as you call it, uh, would make it uh, entertaining to read because if there's one thing I know I don't like uh, in a story is you know you know exactly what's going to happen um, mm-hmm. and and you know who, who you know who done it and all that stuff. <laughs> I yep, like it yep, where yep. I love I love the stories that make me gasp and uh, you you know even if it it doesn't have to be a crime story it could be uh, you know even a romance story or whatever but 
if you set an expectation and then if you either challenge it or defy it or uh, just completely explode the expectations of your readers um, or your viewers if you're if you're making movies uh, that can be that can be very important but at the same time there's a caveat there because when you're telling a story you're making a promise about what the story is going to deliver on uh, if it's a romance story you know okay there's going to be a man there's going to be or it could be a, a um, it could be whatever romance but there's going to be um, you're right there's going to be romance in it so there's certain elements you expect, like a first kiss and like a temporary breakup, and then they right. get together at the end. Like there's, yeah, there's like genre conventions that is like that's why we have genres in the first place. Is it it signals to the to the someone trying to buy a book like what the content will be. Like you'd be kind of annoyed if you bought a romance book and there was like you know it was marketed as romance and like there was they didn't get together. You'd be like, oh well, that was weird. Like you can do that stuff with <laughs> expectation. Like it, you can't yeah. do it. It's just that's part of like the way that that's the way that marketing ties into into like the creative practice in that way. I guess is like yeah. if you write a a science fiction story, it can also be a romance, but it there are elements that you come to expect from from those different genres. And you you said it brilliantly. Thriller is one of my favorite genres. You know, Silence of the Lambs is a classical example of that, where it like has all of the all of the scenes you need and all of the genre conventions, but it like does something different and interesting with them. Um, as a scene, uh, the, one of the, one of the conventions of, of a thriller genre is the like hero at the mercy of the villain, you know? So in like a James Bond, it's when James Bond has the gun, uh, or the, the villain has like the gun to James Bond's head and, you know, he's tied up or whatever. Um, and, and it, you know, they, they goes, I expect you to die, Mr. Bond. And then they explain like their evil plan or whatever. Um, and it like takes the power away from the hero. And, you know, in Silence of the Lambs, for instance, that exact same scene happens, but instead of like, you know, a gun to the head, it's the scene in the basement where it's pitch black and Buffalo Bill has on the night vision goggles and he's like stalking Clarice, you know. Um and it's it's the same scene, it just it, it totally does something different with it and it completely reverses the convention in such an interesting way. And it's it's those little moments, like as you said, that create the texture. I mean, there's there's one of my favorite scenes in in your story is um when William notices that two pieces of cloth, like from a tent match, um, and one of the characters is like, and without spoiling it, one of the characters is like, w- like, why does that matter? And he's able to, um, he's able to solve a a mis- a mis- uh, solve a small mystery that then bakes into the larger plot of the story and tells you more about a particular group of people. And it's like that that yeah, little moments like that, uh, I, I think really create the texture of the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it's. Yeah, it's it comes down to uh, little moments like that and following up on the promises, like you said. And whether you're studying studying story and uh, studying plot, a lot of people think that okay, you know, I'm just going to learn, you know, all these points that I'm going to have to follow up on. But mm-hmm. as a writer, what you'll learn is writing. A lot of it has to do with problem solving because mm-hmm. you have to understand. Okay, what would be a creative way to make this work? Right. Oh, okay. What yeah. if he meets uh, a certain person that knows this, and that leads to him getting there? Right. It's um, uh, it really is problem solving. That's such it's a good a lot way of like putting it. I, yeah, it, I know it doesn't sound sexy, but it's it really is when <laughs> it comes down uh, to writing. Right. It doesn't sound like oh yeah, I'm going to be a really good problem solver. But when when it you really realize is, that yeah. if if you solve something uh, in a really creative, entertaining way, that's how, that's how um, original work gets created. Uh, mm. That's how 
that's how um, a, a really interesting read or a really interesting watch comes by. It's because somebody, there's a problem in the story. There's a problem, uh, you know, whether they're trying to find a person who's missing, whether they're trying to, you know, meet a certain person or, or achieve a certain goal. There's a problem. And if you can play with that hope, if you can play with that desire and go back and forth in a way that's entertaining and in a way that introduces uh, new problems and eventually they get solved in a way that's satisfying, that's a great book. That's a great movie. Mm. And mm. I, I stand by that. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think even to to mirror that in the editing process, a lot of when you're trying to fix what's what's not working in your story, it's it's exactly that thing where you go, well, in this scene, this like in this scene, I know this needs to happen and it currently isn't happening. How do I solve that problem? How do I how do I rework the story to, to have that happen? Um, so yeah it's, yeah, it's interesting that it works on like every layer of, of storytelling. I think it's it's all problem solving, which yeah, it's not always sexy, but it's definitely um, it's definitely a big part of the process. And it's one of my favorite things. And you 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 can probably test this is when you do solve something. So like when there's a problem in the in a in a scene and like you find the perfect solution, and yes. it's like it's so it's so satisfying. Oh my god, that's one of the best feelings is when you find a better yet is I'll, I'll i'll top that is when you're when you're um when you're pantsing and you find a problem and a solution in very close proximity and it mm -hmm, seems like mm -hmm. it's uh, uh spontaneous but yeah just that finding the finding the solution is just one of the most rewarding things while you're writing um yeah that's a great feeling i yeah there's I no other way to yeah. explain it. it's just an aha <laughs> moment it's just a complete understatement it's like uh, yeah like uh, it really is satisfaction is like hell yes yeah. i found i found an idea that could work and if it's entertaining and if it's satisfying like there's no other way to describe it that's mm. just amazing it really is it's it's one of my favorite things like i had that the other night when I, i've been working on book two recently and i like we had this problem in the edit and aaron had said in this scene this needs to happen i don't care how you do it but you need to find a way of this happening and there was right. a reason that i hadn't written it in because it was like conflicting with like basically a character needed to not turn around because it was going to spoil like a plot point later on that's like a crucial part of the mystery story but the character who was in the scene is the kind of person that would absolutely turn around so he was like i don't care how you do it but you have to have this person turn around or try to at least without spoiling this mystery and I, I came up with this solution that like i just had that uh, absolute aha moment where i was like oh my god this ties into everything it's perfect um and it was just yeah it's it's the, it's nothing quite like that feeling i don't think yeah. in in other work you know it's it's very much a creativity thing and i think writing especially like it, it really is so satisfying totally man totally totally um so what are the, sorry go ahead no i was i was just going to change gears but if you are uh, no if, man go uh, Go, go right ahead. But, um, yeah, so change of gears for a minute. I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the um, the kind of themes of fate and sort of, um, or I, I guess resignation is really the word I'm thinking of. Like William's kind of resigned to his life at the start of the story. Um, and, you know, even his leadership, uh, when he does sort of step up as, as a leader um, throughout the narrative, it's kind of, he's initially like very like a reluctant leader and he sort of, he doesn't really want to take, you know, control of his own fate um, or like take control of his own life. Um, we talked about freedom before, but is, is sort of fate something that you, th that you think about or a theme that you were sort of interested in, 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 in that regard? It, it definitely, well, for a, for a story, definitely, because I think that could be a really interesting thing to play around with because 
when things seem destined, uh, one, that makes the story super interesting because you can have an extraordinary life. Uh, a, a character can have an extraordinary life. And it can be, it can just be very intriguing. And I like to play around with that idea, but, uh, through the, through the eyes of a writer, something that makes the idea of fate really interesting is that you can do spontaneous things and in a way they seem justified and it can give moments, um, a very meaningful touch. So if, if the, uh, things seem, uh, destined, the way you know a certain flag is uh, flapping in the wind that can that can be meaningful. Whereas in a story where it doesn't have a theme of fate, okay, it's a nice touch, but you can just you can play around with it a lot more. I think it's a very interesting factor to think about uh, when you're writing. Mm, mm, absolutely, and it's it's definitely sort of woven throughout this story with with William and his sort of behaviors throughout the narrative. Um, and that, I think that's tied, too, to the conflict of, like, civilization and nature, where, you know, when when left alone in the desert, um, there's this kind of theme throughout the story that, like, everyone becomes, like, the barest, like, most um, pure version of themselves. Like, it strips away, um, it strips you away to, like, your most basic um, components throughout the sort of narrative. Um, and William, I think, throughout, you know, one of the key themes is him struggling, as you said at the start, him struggling with... Um, the these ideas of like going home and like staying in the desert and and he has he has this relationship with the desert where it's almost a character um where did that that kind of come from because i i was i've never really seen that done in that way before where sort of he i don't know he even sort of toward the end the the desert is almost sort of personified to him like he kind of views it as this uh kind of living thing that he's negotiating with hmm. well first of all i i appreciate it um yeah uh the the idea of him interacting with the desert and uh, him being stripped to his raw form when he's out there is is because when you're out there in the desert, I haven't been in, in the Saharan desert, but I've been in a few deserts. And, and uh, when you're just standing out there in the heat and you just see nothing of more heat, it can get really quiet in your head. And you can, you can learn a lot about yourself. And I think that it was a good... Um, I don't know how the story would have worked out if it was in the jungle. I think it was a good uh, setting for the book and for what I wanted to communicate. And and I thought it was really interesting because when I, as I was doing research for the book, um, I learned that, holy cow, you know, they have more than just, uh, you know, like great big dunes in the desert. There's like, I think, eight or, eight or more different kinds of uh, desert within the Saharan desert. So they have like the dunes and then they have like this... Uh, like white sand and they have like different colors and or like areas where it's rocky and i thought that was uh an interesting idea because you can show the different um progressions to the center of the desert uh to the to the heat and so yeah it was just a lot of fun to write um and i wanted to pick a setting that would uh be a be an extreme challenge for him because he had spent his whole life in europe he had uh he was born in england and he went to france for a little bit during the first world war but other than that, he hasn't really ever, he's never, never been to the desert. He's never been, mm-hmm. you know, uh, anywhere where it's like crazy hot, like, you know, either how it is in Australia or anything like that, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> right. exactly. So, yeah, actually, you, you're, you're the one, uh, you're the one uh, who, who knows the heat between the two of us. Yeah, I, um, I live it. <laughs> so, yeah, 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 <laughs> you, you are William. <laughs> so, yeah, yep. I, I, that's, why, that's, that's why I chose the desert. 
Yeah, that's 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 really interesting to hear because yeah, I mean throughout the story, I was so sort of. I don't know, I found it very captivating, and there's a lot of really great imagery where, um, you know, William's sort of uh, going to sleep, and he looks up at just the sort of, the em- like, the empty of the desert um, and the night sky and stuff, and it's 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 one of those image image images that um, is, is so captivating in its, like, vastness, and I don't know, I, I'm, I've been reading the, um, the Gunslinger by Stephen King for our book club this month, and that's sort of the first portion of that book is set in a desert as well and it's, some, it's something fascinating about how universal heat is as like a this this force that just really strips stuff away um and yeah i i was really fascinated throughout the story as that progressed and we i, I saw william becoming changed by by sort of spending time there um so i guess the, the other thing that i that i wanted to ask um about kind of that imagery or i, I guess segueing from that is there's a lot of imagery of like the of you know like the the sleeping and the journeys and there's a big time like this book takes place over time um, that passes and it's often delineated by the days and nights and stuff and there's a lot of like themes of like kind of vivid dreaming or the desert feels kind of unreal or sort of you're not sure if 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 this force that's following them is like real or if it's imaginary and like that sort of thing Th- those ideas of like dreaming and sleep and that sort of thing was that um, was that just naturally born from working in, in in the desert or or was that something that that you kind of injected uh you know more consciously uh that was that was something that i injected definitely more consciously and uh as we talked about in the previous uh podcast lawrence of arabia really i that's what i got out of it because i thought that the idea of making the desert this really interesting landscape um where things don't seem real and things can be doubtful and uh, reality is sort of malleable out in the desert. I thought that would be a really interesting touch. And I got a lot, that's one of the, one of the points I got a lot of inspiration out of, out of uh, Lawrence of Arabia was uh, just the strangeness of the desert and how life seems strange in the, in the desert. Um, Yeah. Lawrence of Arabia, that's where I got that. And I consciously uh, put that into the book. Hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I, that's that's so again, curious to hear you say that because it, it's there's something about <laughs> I don't know what it is, but that the way that that the the desert ties into those themes and stuff, it it feels so natural. And then toward the end, you know, there's a there's a moment where where the desert, uh, not to spoil anything, but like it's interrupted by civilization um, once again, and it it felt like waking up almost. There was sort of this sense of like, yep. oh, like this is what oh yeah the world's still out there like you know there are still cars and trains and stuff but when you're in the story it doesn't it doesn't feel that way you feel like the desert is the entire world um yeah which yeah yeah that, that was, and, yeah. yeah one of the things that uh i was also hoping to communicate through the desert is just because when you're out in the desert or if you're just out in a really open place or even if you're just looking at the sky if you think about it for a minute you, it can just you can get this sense of smallness and it's almost like uh, vertigo. Yeah. 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 So <laughs> yeah, you can get the sense of um, not in uh, an interesting way to think about it. It's not that I'm so small, but that the world is so big. And mm-hmm. once you think about that, when you start thinking about all the possibilities of life and that there's just a, an infinite world out there, it's make it makes turning in on yourself and, observing yourself and thinking about uh, your own internal life, it makes that so much easier. And mm. uh, that was one, also one of the main reasons why I chose the desert is because I wanted to insert in William this feeling of being small. 
that there was something much greater than him that was completely different, which was the desert. And uh, I brought the desert to life almost as a, as a second character by the desert teaches William a lot. He learns a lot while he's out there and um, he learns a lot about himself. And uh, yeah, that's why that's another reason why as well. Mm, no, it's yeah. I, I guess, I guess to coming from like, Coming from like living in a city, because um, as you said, you 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 grew up uh, in California, uh, and I grew up in Brisbane, which is also like a kind of Brisbane's more like a big country town than a city. Like it, it's an actual city, but it has more of a vibe of like being a big lazy kind of country city type thing, rather than like you know like a metropolis like New York or something. Yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of different, like I guess for like the transition for me to go from that to the desert, like wasn't like I wasn't sort of. As like you know, at the start of the story, when William first um, journeys, there's this kind of jarring you know sequence where he gets to the he, he gets on shore and everything is foreign and he's trying to get food and he's confused and like you know he's wearing he's wearing the wrong clothes and it's just this really interesting like kind of fish out of water scenario um, that I think perfectly captures that feeling of getting somewhere foreign and strange and not having any of the tools you need to to deal with it at all. Um, was that something you found when you were traveling? Like, was that just like a lived kind of um, thing that, that you were able to intuit? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, there have been, yeah, I definitely tried to capture that feeling of, uh, of being out of your, of being out of your habitat of things being mixed up because when you go to another country, it, it takes a second to hit you, but you think, if it's a if it's a completely different language, I get it. If I'm going to go to England or Australia, I can still communicate. But if I go to somewhere like Thailand, mm-hmm. it's gonna it, it'll hit you. But you think, holy shoot, I, I can't just ask this person a question. Like there's a legit, like I'll be talking in numbers to them, and likewise. Yep. And mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. you through that strangeness, you have to re- uh, reevaluate everything about how you do your life. How you, even how you communicate with people, how you get food, where you're going to sleep, where you're going to go, how you're going to travel, money, everything. The whole spectrum of your life gets reevaluated off of the different culture. And uh, uh, that can even be like how you treat people, you know, and all the little customs. And uh, one of the things I was thinking about as well is that in that traveling, that strangeness is also what allows him uh, to begin the process of reevaluating his life. That mm-hmm. stark contrast from being in London and being in his habitat where everybody speaks English and he's just like every everybody else to going to Morocco where he doesn't speak Arabic and there's just like this huge uh, congregation of all kinds of different cultures and everything's new. And on top of it, there's the heat and there's a desert. All of that was done on purpose uh, to sort of capture that feeling of being a foreigner so that then he could mm-hmm. start putting himself back together from the beginning. Uh, so when it gets to Morocco, that's the real beginning of him... Uh, um, reevaluating his life. Yeah, and then the rest of the story is him putting, as you said, putting himself back together. That's a really good way of putting it. Um, is yeah. is there sort of anything, um, anything about the story that that you wanted to sort of talk about before we wrap up, or anything that you kind of uh, wanted to tell people who who might be interested in the book or interested in 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 these kinds of stories? Is there anything you kind of wanted to uh, to communicate before we sort of before we wrap up? Hmm. Um. Yeah, one thing. Uh, so in writing this book, I didn't intentionally uh, write the book with the idea of, you know, life is life is malleable, that you can do whatever you want with your life. And, uh, you know, despite how you feel in your surroundings, you 
you can actually do it, whatever you want. That wasn't a um, an intentional idea that I had that I wanted to communicate. That was just a, a theme in the background that I, I thought helped develop the story. And for people who read it, of course, everybody has a, you know, this is a book, this is uh, meant for you to enjoy, this is very personal to you. So, you know, I should, I, I'm, I'm not one to tell you how to enjoy the book. But one thing to think about is I didn't write this book uh, to be preachy. I wrote it to uh, write a really interesting story. So when you pick up the book, uh, just enjoy it. Uh, and if you want to, pick up on the little things, um, the little messages that are in the book. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it can be difficult, too, with just the amount of like analysis that, that we do in general. Um, it can be hard to then remind people that, like, yeah, but we also just enjoy how entertaining something is. Um, right. Uh, so, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, uh, I suppose, uh, where's the best place for people to pick up the book? Um, and then uh, what sort of, uh, when's it looking to, to, to be released? What's sort of the, the timeline? So, uh, a while ago, we ran into some file problems, but that's getting all worked out. So, good news is that the book's going to be out in about two weeks. So, we're getting the final things uh, wrapped up as far as that goes. Uh, best place to find it is going to be on Amazon, uh, but you can find it in any bookstore. If, wherever you want to go get a book, that's where you can get it. Um, and yeah, that's where it's going to be at. But Amazon for now is the best place to go get it. Excellent. Uh, I'll pop a I'll, I'll pop a link in the in the description once it's out, uh, and people can go and grab themselves a copy. I highly recommend it. Um, it's it's a it's a thrill from start to finish. Uh, it's you know as you've said, it's 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 very like very entertaining but also uh, there's a lot of stuff going on uh, under the hood too that kind of makes you think about um life and all that stuff a, l- a little more so um otherwise i just want to say thank you for for, for joining us and uh, uh coming on the show uh, it's, it's always an absolute pleasure thank you man i had a i had a really awesome chat and uh yeah man thanks so much for having me on again i really appreciate it yeah of course uh, and obviously you know as as the book comes out, we might even, you know, look at doing like maybe like a, a spoiler heavy chat once it's out or something. Yeah. Um, we'll, see, we'll see how we go. That could be quite fun. That would um, be a blast. That would be a blast yeah. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good, man. Well, uh, thanks, for, thanks for joining us. Uh, and if you're uh, listening or watching uh, this uh, wherever you consume our stuff, um, if you do all the things you guys do, so if, if, you, if you rate it or, or, or whatever it is that you do to support us, or just tell a friend who maybe is a writer who you think might might get something out of it and maybe learn something um that's always the best way to help support us is to to help other people make better stuff um otherwise you can find us everywhere on the internet we're at uh dcm underscore works um and i'm on twitter at dcm i hate pie uh, adam uh, what uh, where can people follow you on uh, on the internet um i'm on instagram facebook and twitter but the best place to find me is on instagram at adam decolibus uh, you can get the spelling from either the book or the show notes. Um, <laughs> yep. Or the title uh, of the episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the title of the episode or the last name. Uh, so, yeah, Adam this. That's where you can find me. Sounds good. Uh, well, uh, thanks for having a chat with me, Adam. And uh, we'll see all of you uh, in the next piece of content we make, whatever that might be.